This information is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with regard to the subject matter covered. It is offered with the understanding that the presenters are not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, or other professional services. If legal advice or other expert advice is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought. Welcome to the Real Estate Financial Planner Inside the Numbers podcast. I am your host, James Orr, and this is episode three. In this episode, Andrea is going to invest in stocks instead of doing the nomading strategy that we talked about in episode one and two. She'll get back to doing nomad in episodes four and five. So let's just jump right into how to edit this scenario. You're welcome to copy this scenario into your own Real Estate Financial Planner account and then just make the changes instead of having to start over from the beginning. But if you're going to start over from the beginning to make your own scenarios, you're welcome to kind of follow along. So in this one, uh, this is the scenario name. I'm on the uh, Real Estate Financial Planner website. I've already clicked into the edit link in order to start editing this particular one. But uh, this is the scenario name. So you're welcome to change that. Um, again, using the break, the brackets here is going to be what makes it red. So it's going to show up red like that, anything you have in the brackets. We use that in order to set off numbers if we're doing like a series of different scenarios to show different things. But you're welcome to use that or not use that. It's, it's completely optional. And the name isn't really used anywhere except to identify the scenario on charts or from a list of different scenarios that you're considering. So use a helpful description for yourself. It helps if it's a little bit shorter. It's not like two paragraphs long uh, to be able to just name it whatever you want there. We're going to run this scenario for 480 months. That's 40 years. If you need to run a little bit longer, you can change that. Uh, we're not having any names of people in here, although you can put that in there. Eventually, we'll add some coding to adjust that to be able to show your name on different charts uh, next to your age. But we don't have that yet. Uh, effective income tax rate. So we've set it to 15%. We use this in order to calculate uh, depreciation recapture tax. Uh, so you're welcome to use whatever you want there. You can click on this link in order to estimate. If you don't know what your effective income tax rate is, you can go ahead and do that. But we use 15% for Andrea right here. We use a different tax rate for income. Um, if using 15% here makes it a little bit more conservative because we're using a slightly lower number than what she's actually paying in her effective income tax rate so that her depreciation recapture tax is a little bit more conservative by doing that. Inflation rate, we've assumed inflation is 3%. And by the way, in the advanced uh, Real Estate Financial Planner podcast, we make inflation rate variable. So even though we have 3% here, we use a rule in order to set those to be random. Um, and uh, I, I might go and explain that in another uh, episode of Inside the Numbers. But right now, we're just going to use 3%. It's going to be fixed throughout the entire scenario, all 40 years. Uh, mortgage interest rate, 4.875. This isn't used with any particular property. This is sort of like the global mortgage interest rate. It's used if we do refinances on properties later, but since we're not doing any of those, it doesn't get used here. Uh, minimum target monthly income retirement. So she's trying to replace her $4,000 per month income from her accounting job. And so her minimum target monthly income for retirement is that $4,000 a month. And that's what we're using there. And then we have her ideal, like if she could live her dream lifestyle, it would be $20,000 a month. And so that would be her ideal target monthly income in retirement. These two numbers get used in our phases of financial independence charts. And if you go and look at those, once you copy it to your account, you could see when she reaches her minimum target monthly income retirement, where the passive income and the cash flow from her properties and the 4% safe withdrawal rate or whatever the safe withdrawal rate number is of her assets invested, when all of those combined, 
uh, reach $4,000 a month in income, then she's reached her minimum target monthly income retirement. And then the $20,000 a month is when she does that. Now that phases the financial independence report. It shows you when she's reached each one of those targets. And then this option right here is whether or not we want to remove her owner-occupant mortgage from her ideal or her minimum target monthly income goal once she has paid off the property. So the thinking is, hey, look, if I need $4,000 a month to live on, and part of that is my mortgage payment, then when I finally pay off that mortgage, I no longer really need $4,000 a month. I need $4,000 a month minus whatever that mortgage payment was in order to have my financial independence goal met. And so we could toggle right here whether or not we want to leave that in place and say that, nope, I always want it to be $4,000 a month, even when I pay off my mortgage. Or if I want to adjust my goal down to be, you know, whatever the number I have minus my mortgage payment, if I, uh, if I pay off my mortgage. And so we've left it on that says, yes, go ahead and adjust those numbers when the owner-occupant mortgage is paid off. And so the, uh, the software will do that calculation for us. Uh, yearly safe withdrawal rate. Turns out there was an article today in the Wall Street Journal uh, by the founder, the kind of creator of the 4% rule. And he was talking about how the 4% rule is no longer applicable in our current market. Uh, so if you want to go read that, read that article, you're welcome to do it. Um, it's the Wall Street Journal article from um, April 20th, 2022 is when I'm recording this live. So uh, the yearly safe withdrawal rate, she's using 4% now. Um, and we will have a bunch of uh, like podcast episodes about digging really deep into this yearly safe withdrawal rate, what the impact is on her achieving your goals and how that all plays out. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, scenario, if, if you're, by the way, if you're copying this into your account and you want to change this, feel free to change it. If you're like, hey, look, I think, you know, 4% is too aggressive. I should be using 3% or 3.2 or 3.25 or 3.3 or, you know, 4% is way too conservative. I should be able to do 5% or 6% or 7% or 20% or whatever number makes sense to you. You can go ahead and adjust that right here and it'll change. The description of the stereo, it's described right here. Um, we just use this to describe what's going on. It's completely for you to take notes in. It's not used anywhere. So it's sort of like your place to write down what's going on there. We're only running one of these scenarios. When we do the advanced stuff, we do Monte Carlo. We run the, the same scenario multiple times, and then we look at the range of results we get. This is for stuff like when you have you know, a variable uh, stock market rate of return or variable appreciation rate or rent appreciation rates on properties, all those things, or inflation rate, all those things can become variable and they can impact your results. And then we can run multiple versions of this and then see the range of values. We're not doing that in this case. We're running a single run. Um, and so that's one Monte Carlo simulation there. And then right here, we have it so that who can see this scenario and anyone can see right now, that's what's clicked off. And then here's the links in order to do it. Anyone with a special link, if you click this, it'll you'll have to have a password in your link in order to be able to view it. So you could give access to a few of your friends or family members and uh, only they could access it. It's not like it's publicly accessible. And then of course you can revoke that access later if you go ahead and remove that link. Or you could set it up so that only you would do it. And, and for the most part, what I would suggest is once you plan on doing only you, if it's just your own stuff. In this case, because these are available on the podcast, we want to make sure that anyone can see it. And so we have those there. Okay, so getting on to that. So that's the basic, like for the setup for the scenario there. Now we're going to move on. And really, when you have a scenario, a scenario is kind of a bucket to store accounts, properties, and rules. Accounts are places that we store money. So it's where money goes into and where money comes out of. It's like um, keeping track of where money is and how much it is. Uh, properties are 
anything, single family homes that you live in, single family homes that you rent out, uh, duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes that you both live in and rent out, um, individual apartment buildings, they could be industrial buildings, you know, anything that is real estate like that, that includes, uh, you know, like normal real estate type stuff. So you can go ahead and do properties for that. And then rules, which are down here, are things that manipulate accounts and manipulate properties. So for example, you could have rules that put money into an account, like a paycheck. You could have rules that take money out, like personal expenses. You could have rules that um, you know, adjust the uh, return you're getting on an account. You can use rules to adjust the returns you're getting on real estate. You can adjust you know, the appreciation rate or the rent appreciation rate or things like that. So rules manipulate accounts and properties. They're sort of like the mechanics, the things that happen to accounts and properties. And the scenario is the bucket that holds all the accounts, all the properties, and all your rules. And it says, this is one entity that we're kind of working with. So that's how the software is set up. So getting back here. So in this case, we have two accounts. One is an account that's included in every single scenario. And it's what we call the default cash account. The way that the default cash account works is, it's sort of a catch-all bucket that says, hey, what if I run out of money in this account, other account that I set up? Like, let's say you set up a savings account. What happens if you get to an account balance of zero in that savings account and you have expenses coming out of there? Well, the expenses, the, the, uh, the savings account would then go to zero. And then after that, you would see a negative balance in the default cash account. This is sort of like a way to keep track of any money you need to add to the scenario from outside what we're tracking. So you could see that if you run out of money, it would show up in your default cash account. Some people might choose to use the default cash account as their kind of like main account and have all their income and expenses and property income and expenses and everything else go right into that. And you can do that. I tend not to do it that way. I tend to have a separate account um, that kind of tracks all that stuff. And so the default cash account is a special account. It always starts with $0. It always earns $0. And it's the only account that can go negative as of right now. I think I'm, I'm leaning toward adding the ability to have negative account balances to track like um, other debts and stuff you have instead of just listing them as expenses using rules. But that has not happened yet. And I'm not 100% sure that's the way I'm going to go. But the default cash account is a way to kind of do that. So every scenario you set up is going to have that default cash account. And for the most part, you're not going to use it unless you run out of money somewhere else in the scenario, unless your other account gets down below zero, and then it will automatically default and go to that default cash account. Okay. And so in this case, for Andrea, we have an all-in-one account. So that $100,000 that she started with that she received from the divorce. And I'm just going to click into that account so you can see what's going on here. It's the same that we had set up before when we did the Nomad in episode one and episode two. So it's the all-in-one account. The date open, just leave it blank. It'll start with a scenario starts. You can use this and have accounts that get opened, you know, five years or 10 years in the future. But I may even remove that because it's used so rarely. I think I put it in there originally because I was thinking to myself, you know, there may be people that are like, listen, you know, five years from now, I'm going to open up this account and I'm going to have, you know, $50,000 in it. But it rarely gets used. So I might even remove that date opened. For the most part, you're just going to leave it blank. And then opening account balance, it's that $100,000 that Andrea had, her proceeds, her share of the proceeds from the sale of the home and uh, the retirement stuff from uh, the divorce. So that's where she starts with. She starts with $100,000 in that bank account, sort of opening balances. And then she gets 8% per year rate of return in that account on any money that is in there. And so, you know, let, let's talk about this assumption for a second, because this is inside the numbers is where we get to talk about these. So yearly rate of return, is 8% for the stock market a reasonable thing? Where I came up with this, I, there's a um, 
there's a spreadsheet that's available from Bogleheads. It's uh, put out by one of the foreign participants on there. I think his name is Simba, if I'm not mistaken. It's Simba's spreadsheet. But that actually shows you, if you go download that, it shows you the historical stock market rates of return for the stock market going back, I don't even know how long, 100 years or something like that. And so if you go and you looked at what the compounding annual growth rate of investing in the stock market over that period of time, I believe it was uh, like a little bit higher than 8%. And so when I was thinking about how to set up this to simplify modeling this for Andrea, because in reality, she's not going to have $100,000 invested in her stock market account and be putting her paycheck and be pulling out her business, you know, her personal expenses from that account. In theory, she's probably going to have like, you know, a checking account that's got $5,000 in it or something, and then she's going to have $95,000 in this kind of stock market account. But rather than keep track of two different separate accounts on here, I'm just saying, look, we're going to call this an all-in-one account. And and it's it's just a a mental shortcut to have us be able to, um, you know, like summarize this into one bucket instead of having to keep track of two different buckets and moving money between one and the other when one runs down, you know, rather than doing all that, um, I, I just said, look, we're just going to put it in here. We're going to, we're going to say that has a hundred thousand dollars in here. She's going to pull over personal expenses and she's going to deposit all the money from rents and stock market rate of return all into this one account. It's going to be this one big pile. And instead of saying, look, she's earning whatever it is, 8.5% uh, on the stock market, we're going to call it and say it's 8% because sure, she'll have $5,000 that's in a checking account that's earning essentially nothing, you know, less than 1% in most cases. And then she's going to have $95,000 that's earning like, you know, 8.57 or whatever the number is. I don't even remember anymore. And so rather than do that, we're just going to say, look, 8% seems like a reasonable number to use. It's, could it be a little bit higher? Sure. Could it be a little bit lower yet? We, no one really knows the future. And so the stock market could perform better than that. It could perform worse than that in the future. No one really knows. And so we're going to go ahead and stick with that and say it's just 8%. Now, if you want to come in here and once you make a copy of Andrea's scenario to your own account and you want to model this, and you want to change it, you say, look, you know, I, James, I don't know where you're getting 8% from. That seems very aggressive. That seems super optimistic. I think I can get 6%. Well, go ahead and when you copy it to your account, come in here, just change this to 6% and then save it. And it will actually go ahead and rerun the whole scenario for you using that number. So that's what it is there. So uh, that's what yearly rate of return is. It's 8%. When we do the advanced modeling, this is one of the numbers that becomes random. We put in a static number to start with, but then we use rules in order to say, okay, every month, go ahead and change what the yearly rate of return is for this particular one and make it random. And we, we set the range of what it is random. So I think we use something like negative 16 to positive 32 with a standard deviation of 8%. And so we kind of just set that up there and we use 0.1 block. So it'll go anywhere from you know 8.1 to 8.2 to 8.3. It'll be like up to 0.1 accuracy there. So you could do whatever you want, but that's basically how we do it. And then as far as asset type goes, this is only used when we look at the chart to show like where her money is. And so... Um, it's not really used for anything other than when we group it to show like what her asset allocation chart is. So for now, I just said that this is in stocks. And so for her, this example, because she's going to be investing in stocks, we use $100,000 as the opening balance, 8% return, and we're saying it's stocks. Okay, so that's what it is. And then down here, it shows you like where this particular account is being used, what scenarios it's being used in. And so you can see all those. But in this case, there's a whole bunch of ones that I set up for Andrea. For you, you'll probably just have one or two. All right, now I'm going to go back. So that's accounts. So we've got the default cash account, which I talked about in detail. We've got the all-in-one account. And as a quick summary, you could see, you know, it's $100,000 initially. 
and it's earning 8% and it's invested in stocks and it runs, it, it exists for the entire scenario. If this only happened at a certain date or between a certain date, uh, you could have it be there, but it runs for the entire scenario. And then if you ever want to edit it, you can click on the link all in one account to edit it, or you can click on this little pencil. Both of them go to the same spot. If you want to see the account ledger, uh, this is something I don't really talk about a lot, but if, if you want to see the account ledger, you can actually click on that little button that I just clicked on. I'll go back there and do it. You click on this little button right here, and it shows you um, everything that was deposited and everything that was withdrawn from that account, and then a running balance of what happened in that account. And this shows you a little visual. So this shows you all of 2022. If you want to see what happens in 2023, you can look at that year. And it shows you like a running balance of what happens in there. And then it tells you everything. So for example, this all in one account in uh, whatever month this is, month 10, that's October. So in October, uh, there was a return. She had uh, $88,000 previously. She had a change of uh, $566 from the return on that account you know, the actual return on investment uh, from investing in stocks. And then here's a new balance. And then she had a mortgage payment come out. It was negative $1,017.39. So you could see like a running ledger of everything, monthly private mortgage insurance or property taxes for the month, property insurance, her paycheck that got deposited, any personal expenses that came out. And then we walked through for every month that happens there. So you could see exactly what's going on. Okay. All right. So now I'll go back. I'll go back again. All right, so that button right there basically shows you the account ledger. And then this shows you all the different charts for the account. So it shows you whether you want to see her account balance, the cumulative deposits, how much she's deposited to that account, uh, how much she had from accumulative returns, like how much the money she got as returns from that, the cumulative returns and deposits on one chart, the withdrawals she had there, her net cumulative deposits after all expenses, the total account balance before the return that month, the total return that existed that month, and then her yearly rate of return for that account over time. So you could do any of those charts and see them, and then you could turn on different things. You could turn on significant events or stack them or whatever you want to do to compare this account um, to the other account she's got there. Okay, And then finally, if you want to actually remove this account from this particular scenario, you'd go ahead and click this, and that would say, this account is no longer included in this scenario as the bucket. Remember, scenarios are buckets of these accounts, these properties, and these rules that manipulate the scenario, the accounts, and the properties. So if you want to say, look, this, this all-in-one account shouldn't exist anymore, you can go ahead and click this, and it will remove it, and then it will show up down here as accounts that you can add, and there'll be a button for you to add it or not. You'll notice on here, the only thing you can see in the default cash account is the charts. I probably should do it so that we can add the ledger there. I'll make a note. Add ledger to cash account. You can see how much I use the cash account because we don't even have the ledger for it. Um, so you can only do that. You can't edit the cash account because there's nothing to edit. It's always the default cash account. Always starts with zero. Always gets a 0% per year return. So that's with that one. And you can't ever remove it. So there's really only one option for doing the default cash account. Okay. All right, so that's it for accounts. Properties, now remember, in this case, she still has this one property that she's buying, right? In this, in this example of her um, investing in stocks instead of doing Nomad, it's not like there are no properties. She still has one property and she's buying only one of those. She's buying it her first month in the scenario. She's moving in there with the two kids, ages two and four, and she's gonna live there forever. She's never selling it. She's just gonna pay it off. Okay, so we have the same property that we have there, and it's based on that rental property that we were buying in previous episode in, in previous episodes. So it's still called 
typical rental property. Even though it's not a rental property anymore, it's literally the property she's going to live in and move into and stay in. And so I just didn't rename it. I used the same asset. I'm using asset in quotes. Use the same kind of like a scenario property in order to the software property in order to have that thing is the one she buys. So you can go here and edit that, but it literally is the same assumptions we had uh, previously. You know, it's the same 5% down. She's buying it for $250,000. It's going up 2% a year for appreciation. She's not, uh, it's, you know, if she was renting it, these are the same assumptions that she would have if it was, if it was renting, but she's not renting it. So if she was going to rent it, it'd be $1,600 a month in rent with 3% rent appreciation, 3% vacancy, 10% maintenance. She's managing herself if she was. So she's not doing any of that property management stuff, but the property still has those values in it. It still says, look, in case you do rent this in the future, in case you buy a second property, like you come in here and you adjust the rule, which I'll show you here in a second for when we buy the property. If you bought a second one, then we would convert the first one to a rental and you'd want to have all that stuff in there. In this case, she's not doing anything with it. So we left it in there. Okay. So the, their mortgage interest rate the same. It's going into the same accounts. Everything is set up exactly the same. If you wanted to edit that, you can click on to the edit and we do this. If you really want to see what I use for the assumptions and why, because nothing has changed, Go please watch episode one of Inside the Numbers, where I walk through all the assumptions we use for this to, to know like why I use them all. But in this case, you're welcome to go modify them if you want to, but it's literally the same one as episode one. I didn't change anything. It's the same asset. In fact, when you think about it, when you have two different scenarios, which is what we're doing here, we're doing scenario one from episode one and scenario three from episode three, we can reuse accounts. So you don't have to recreate, have copies of them, although you can, but I, we, I basically re, I reuse the same account and I reuse the properties. So we don't have to make five different properties, although you can make five different properties. I just said, look, it's, it's the same property we're using in scenario one as in scenario three. And so I'm just saying, include this one property that we're buying. So that's what we've got there. In fact, here's other examples. So if you remember in episode two, we used the hundred dollars more in red property. It's not included in this scenario right? Because it's red. That's how you can tell. If I wanted to edit, I'd have to go in here and then I have to set up a rule so that we could buy it, right? Because it, just because it's included in the scenario doesn't mean that you bought any of them. It just says, hey, this is a, this is a property that's in the universe for that scenario. And then we'd have to go and say, okay, well, buy one every month then or buy one once a year in order to do that. So this is a property that is not included, the $100 more in rent. We did that one instead of this one in episode two. And then you're going to see here, um, I think it's episode four, next episode, that we're going to talk about when she hires a property manager to do it. Same property, except now we've got property management being 10% instead of property management being zero in these other ones. And so we'll use this property in episode four, which we're not going to do. But a little preview of what's to come for y'all. Okay. <laughs> Excuse me. All right, rules. So remember, rules manipulate accounts, and they manipulate properties, and they manipulate vari variables in the scenario itself. So let's look at the rules we have. We have three different rules set up for this particular scenario. We still have a paycheck and personal expenses. She's still got her job. She's still got like her personal expenses that she's living, that she uses to live on, like all the different stuff that she's got to pay for, like, you know, taxes and insurance and um, food and groceries and dining out and fun for the kids. All that stuff's got to come out personal expenses. So that's all in here, which I'll go over in a second. The next one she has is Social Security for her starts at age 65. So that starts on January of 2046, which as a very subtle side note, here, here's an interesting thing. So because Andrea is a fictitious person and I could literally run this scenario, you know, another time, the story has to change a little bit though. And here's what I mean by that. If this was really you, 
you could put in your birth date when you turn 65, whatever month your birth date is, to know that, okay, Social Security for me is going to start in whatever it is, May of 2046. That makes sense because that's never going to change for you. But for Andrea, because she's sort of this fictitious person, she's a story of a 40-year-old that in 25 years from now is going to have Social Security. Well, technically, this date should change, right? If we tell her story again a year from now, if I don't change this in here, she technically is starting at age 41, and she's going to collect Social Security at age 65. So this should be not January of 2046. It should be one year in from that or one year out from that in order to be really 25 years. So highly, highly nuanced point there. But because she is fictitious, because she's like a, a made-up entity, and we're telling the story that she's always 40 years old, if I rerun this scenario five years from now, then this would be wrong. Because we're saying that she's collecting this at age 65 and it's really at 2046, even though five years from now she's still 40, that doesn't make sense anymore. So I hope that I follow that. But anyway, so we got three rules, getting back to that. Paycheck and personal expenses, that's her job income and the personal expenses she has to live on, not including the uh, property mortgage, because that's going to be separate. Uh, and the passive income, that's going to be your social security that starts on January 2046. If it goes through the remaining of the scenario. And uh, it goes into the all-in-one account, and it's $1,423 passive income. IA means inflation-adjusted, so we're gonna, we will adjust that up with inflation over time because Social Security is adjusted with inflation. And we're going to pay 18.63% taxes on that money as it comes in. For a paycheck, it's going to be 19.65% in taxes on the paycheck that's coming in. And that's, remember, that's different than the 15%, which is what we're using for sort of depreciation recapture. Uh, or, I'm sorry, depreciation, not the recapture part. Uh, so 1965 tax rate there. All right, so that was the second rule. Paycheck, personal expenses was first. Passive income was the second. And then finally, buy a property when the account is a down payment. Except we're only buying one property. And so look, it says maximum one property. Instead of before where we were saying, look, we're going to buy nine properties. Eight were going to be rentals. One of them was going to be the one we lived in. Now we're saying just buy one and stop. That's what we're saying there, okay? So the rules are really simple for this. Because all we're really doing is we're letting the money that she has in her stock market account just grow. There's nothing extra or tricky about it. It's like she had $100,000. She took out money for a down payment. She just let the rest of the money grow in that account until she got enough there using whatever the safe withdrawal rate that we defined, which in this case was 4%, until that makes enough money that she can be financially independent and stop working. It's, it's that simple. That's really what's going on there. All right, so let's just quickly run through uh, what's going on with these rules so you can see them. Her paycheck and personal expenses, it's going to run for the entire scenario. Uh, and, and I want to cover the difference between this set of rules and the one where she stops working at age 65 because you're going to see this is pretty clever. So we'll go ahead and do that next on this same video, but we'll do it next. Uh, so this is her job and living expense. You can name this whatever you want just to kind of describe it. You could say, you know, if you were doing this for you personally, it could be Andrea's income. It could be Johnny's income. If she got married and she wanted to do two separate ones, one rule for one spouse, one rule for the other spouse, or maybe you've got a side hustle and your regular job and, you know, income from a roommate and, you know, your spouse's income or whatever you're doing there. You can have separate ones to just label whatever they are. This isn't used anywhere except just to show you what it is for you, which rule is which. Uh, apply this rule to which scenario. So this shows you which scenario it's in. And then um, the which account to deposit the paycheck to, we pick whichever account it is. You could do that default cash account or the all-in-one account. We're doing it into the all-in-one. 
which account to withdraw personal expenses from. She's doing it into the all-in-one account. And then how much is her paycheck? Well, we've talked about this in the, in the main episodes. It's $4,000 a month. So $4,000 a month is where she's doing that. And then whether or not we want this particular rule to stop when she reaches her uh, financial independence, where the safe withdrawal rate and any cash flow she's receiving um, toward target monthly income retirement, whenever she reaches 100% of that goal, then we will stop this rule. This is the part, whether we check this off or not, is the part where it says, I'm going to stop working when I achieve financial independence. If we didn't check this off, then she'd keep earning this paycheck forever, even when she has surpassed her kind of minimum target monthly income and retirement number, that kind of like target ideal number that she had there. All right. So uh, personal expenses, uh, 1980.54. And so in that case, this is the amount of personal expense she has, not including the principal and interest of her mortgage of the property she's living in. So this includes like tax, uh, groceries, uh, insurance, uh, car payment, if she's got one of those, you know, those types of things, uh, those would be all personal expenses. This is something that's rarely used. Uh, I'll talk about it in another one, but basically it's only used if you're renting a property and then you know, a couple months from now, you're going to be uh, converting your, being a renter into being a homeowner. I need to know how much of your personal expenses is for your apartment that we can then remove when you actually buy a house. So most cases, you're going to be not using anything. And then whether or not you want to adjust these for uh, inflation, whether you want your paycheck to keep pace with inflation by going up that 4% per year, whether you want your personal expenses to increase, so they're going up 4% a year, So um, and the adjustment amount, if you're going to do that too, that would also increase there. And then what the tax rate is, so we're saying that it's uh, $4,000 is what she's earning uh, times one minus whatever her tax rate over 100. So that's going to remove her taxes. Then it's going to subtract her personal expenses. And we're left over with, this is about how much she's got left over to pay her mortgage on the property that she's living in and taxes and insurance. Okay. So you can kind of see what those numbers are. It'll do some math for you when you're doing it. Okay. Uh, and if you want to find out what the tax rate is, I went and looked it up to do 4,000. So that's about what it is there. That's where we got it. So that's the rule for her paycheck and personal expenses. Uh, let's look at the passive income one. So this is another like income and expense rule, um, but it's a different type, right? And so we're saying this one doesn't run the entire scenario. It only runs from certain dates. We talked a little bit about this. It's going to start in January of 2046 when she is uh, 65 years old or so, I think is what we told her. Um, and then she's going to run that through the end of the scenario. So you leave it blank to show that it doesn't end on any particular date. And then Andrea's Social Security at age 65, that's what we're calling this. We're just naming it that. So you, you kind of know what it is. It's applying to this particular scenario, the one we're working on. And then we're going to deposit it to that all-in-one account. And the passive income amount is $1,423. So $1,423. And we are going to adjust it for inflation. And this is the tax rate on that amount of money. And then we're going to save it. Okay, so that's it. And then finally, this rule for buying a property. Again, this runs for the entire scenario, but it's only going to be maxed out with one property. So I have it says entire scenario, even though we could literally do it for the first month. But in this case, we're saying let's let it run. Uh, we're going to automatically use a part of the rule to limit it so it's only doing one of them. And I'm just describing what we're doing here. This really, it's not really buying Nomad properties. It's buying the one property she lives in. So you can name it whatever you want. I just, I had that left over from when I copied the old scenario. And then we're applying this just to this one, this scenario, this rule. And uh, which property? We're buying that typical rental property that's Nomad. So that's the ones that we have there. Which account do we want to check for the down payment? We're checking in that all-in-one account to see if she has enough down payment. And we're saying, look, she needs to have at least $10,000 adjusted for inflation. 
in order to be able to have this rule trigger, um, which she's got $100,000 there at the start. She's buying this in month one, so it gets triggered. But if you start off with a smaller balance, it might not get triggered for you. And then minimum months of reserves for this property. So it says, look, I need $10,000 plus X number of months of reserves for this property, plus this number of reserves for personal expenses. So five months of personal expense reserves, plus this number of reserves for other properties that she owns. And then how many properties to buy? So realize if, if, the, if the rule doesn't meet these criteria, if you say, look, I need to have you know, 30 months of reserves for everything, then it might not trigger because she might not have enough money to do that. So you could set those up to do it and adjust the rules to be more conservative or less conservative with your acquisition strategy. And then number of properties to buy, I just talked about that. We're just only buying one. We're buying the one property she's moving into, she's living there, and she's never going to convert it to a rental, so it's one. If you wanted to say, let me just do it and see what happens if she buys two, go ahead and just change this to two. She'll move into the property, she'll live there for a year, and then at the end of the year, she'll try to buy another property. And if she meets these criteria for, has at least $10,000 inflation adjusted, these reserves, you know, based on how much she has in that account, then it'll trigger the rule and buy her second property, but then it'll stop. And then we're also saying, does she have to qualify based on debt to income? If you're buying properties traditionally, you're going to a lender and you're getting qualified for the loan, you'll probably want to do this. It says, hey, look, don't, don't allow me to buy properties if my debt to income is over whatever the number they give you. And in most cases, it's probably going to be around 45%. Different loan programs have slightly different debt to income ratio requirements, but in most cases, it's going to be around 45%. So go ahead and do that. And then the commission earned on purchase. If she was actually a real estate agent, she was earning a commission, she'd put that there. And then if we were allowing her to do cash out refinances to buy other properties, this is the stuff down there. So that's it. That literally is the entire setup for this scenario. And then once you're done, you got all that saved, you hit run analysis again, and it will run the analysis and do it for you. Okay. All right. With that being said, I do want to show you the slight difference we had to do when she stops working at 865. So everything else is completely identical, except... We've got an extra rule. So we have the rule that she buys one property. That's exactly the same. We have the rule where she collects passive income from her social security starting at age 65. That's exactly the same. However, what I did is I split up her paycheck and personal expenses into two separate rules. And, there, and I just did this. I said, okay, paycheck and personal expenses. This is her job income and this is her living expenses. And the reason I did this is I actually stopped her paycheck and personal expenses at a different time. So this one runs for month zero, the very beginning of the scenario, and it stops at month 300, 25 years now at age 65. So the, the job income only goes and it only runs for that 25-year period, that 300-month period, okay? And I'll show you what that looks like here in a second. But then living expenses, that runs forever. So her like 1980, 54 in personal expense, uh, that thing is going to run for the entire scenario. It is not going to stop after 25 years. If you, if you had one rule and you had it stop at 25 years, then her personal expenses would have stopped at 25 years. And you would have to go and say, wait, you know, why are she saving? It's a lot more now because she doesn't have any personal expenses if you did it that way. So I broke the rule we had before, the one rule, into two separate ones that those then end up getting split out so that one stops after 25 years and one keeps going forever. So let's just take a look at what paycheck and personal expenses for the living expenses one. So it runs for the entire scenario. It's the scenario that we're working on. It goes to that all-in-one account for both those. She has no paycheck in this one because this is the one that runs forever. I'm going to do the paycheck in a different rule. So paycheck is zero. Okay. And then personal expenses, 1980, 54 in this one. And her tax rate 
is this. Though it doesn't really matter because it's all expenses. doesn't really count there. So it looks like she has negative 1980.54 in this rule, which is what we want. This is the personal expenses it runs for the entire one. This other one, though, for her job is just the opposite. And it runs only from month zero to month 300 at the very end. And it's, we just call it job. That's what we call it. You can call it whatever you want, but we just call it that because that's how we want to know that what it is. And then we're doing that deposit to all-in-one account and her withdrawal from all-in-one account. And we're saying this is her paycheck for $4,000. It does stop if she reaches financial dependence or it's age 65, whichever is earlier. And then her personal expenses on this one are zero because those are covered in the other rule. We don't need it twice. So this is one rule, okay? And then we're not using this at all. And then this is the tax rate on her income. So she's really netting about 3214, not including her mortgage payment, which gets covered by the property itself and not including her personal expenses, which is covered elsewhere. So this is really just like her after-tax income, okay? And that's the only difference between those two. All right, so that concludes the setting up of the scenarios, the inside the numbers for the Real Estate Financial Planner podcast for episode three. This has been James Orr. Bye-bye for now. Oh, I almost forgot. You can download the newest version of the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet for free. Just go to realestatefinancialplanner.com forward slash spreadsheet to download it right now. It's amazing. Bye-bye for now.